to the household of God. You, your brothers and sisters, you've come to the church of the living God, the pillar and the buttress of the truth, and an organ. And uh, we're, gonna, uh, we're going to just pray that God will speak to us now uh, through his word. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you are here, that you've gathered us through the gospel and that you've got things you want to say to each one of us. And so we want to quieten our hearts now. Speak to us, Lord, as we read your word, as we meditate on it together. Change us. Keep us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, someone has uh, described the book of Hebrews as uh, the book for the spiritually middle-aged. You know that stage of life where classically you just start getting a little bit more flabby, a bit more saggy, and you just feel tired. You just feel tired. And, and I say this in the week that I've had the milestone birthday of 50. Uh, and I don't want any more cards. I, I've, I've, I feel loved. I'm not fishing for that. But it's been, it's been a week for me to think about that actually now I probably have to embrace the fact I'm middle-aged. Uh, you celebrate the birthday, and then a few days later, a packet comes through for, for, to help you test for bowel cancer. <laughs> there we are. We're on the downward slope. Whoa, there we are. So, it, it, you know, it, it's, I remember Derek, as he talked about his book, he reminded me at the age of 50, I am now old-aged biblically. And so we should read his book, uh, A Guide to, to a Good Old Age. Now, those who received this letter uh, early on in their Christian lives had gone through significant trials and opposition. And, and the extraordinary thing was they, they, they'd met those trials with great joy. But the years had gone on. And it seems as if some were getting tired and weary of the difficulties and the challenges they were facing in their Christian lives. Uh, life was still challenging. And some seem to have begun to lose their joy. Some were even drawing back from attending church with God's people because it was just getting too hard. And if that's how you are starting to feel this morning, then I think this has been a great morning to come to church. I'm so glad you did come this morning because God wants to say some things to you. And if you've come this morning and you're just full of beans at living the Christian life, you just think, this is amazing. Well, I'm so glad you're here today because there's a day going to come when you are going to start feeling weary. And you need what God has to say to us through this part of Hebrews. So please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 or your apps on your phone or whatever you're going to use. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 1,210. And really, as we've come to this chapter, we've come to the, the, the main central burden and passion that, that has caused him to write this whole letter. It's distilled in these opening verses. I'm just going to read the first three verses today. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance 
the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is God's word. Now, do you see the warm encouragement there in verse 1? The whole letter has been building to this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See, if you're spiritually tired and weary as a Christian today, here's a word of God for you. Persevere. The Christian life is described uh, like an athletic race. Now, there are some people here, and these verses don't relate to you yet because you've not started the race. Uh, You've been coming along, you've been checking things out, but you've not begun to follow Christ. And what I want to say to you this morning is get into the race. Get started. And, uh, you know, there's a prayer team that will be here at the front. They, you know, at the end of the service, they can come and help you or come and talk to me. I'd love to help you just to get started in the race. The great thing about this race of the Christian life is it's not a competition of who gets there first. It is more a matter of completing the race. Um, And if you're wondering about starting, we need to be uh, honest with you. It is not a, um, a race like a Usain Bolt race where it's over in 10 seconds. No, it's, it's, it's even longer than a Mo Farah race. It's more like a, a marathon. And behind that word race is the word from which we get our English word, agony. Uh, I've never run a marathon, but I hear it hurts. I hear it's painful. I don't think you can run a marathon and at the end of it just go, oh, that was easy, that was a breeze. No, it involves exertion and pain. Have you ever ran for the bus recently? Do you know that moment where you turn the corner and the bus is there? And there's that calculation. If I really go for it, maybe I can get on that bus. Have you had that thought, that crazy thought? And, and you think, blow it, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to lose all dignity. And my bag's going to flap, my coat's going to flap, and I'm, I'm going to run towards this thing. And then the bus pulls off before you get there, and then you sort of pretend you weren't really... <laughs> you just wanted to stretch your legs. I remember one time I was running for the bus, that desperate, thought, I'm going to get there. And, but actually, I was running too far away, and, and my lungs were bursting, and I thought, I'm going to give up, I can't be bothered. That that, that was just for the bus. What what must it be like for a marathon? Well, the Christian life is more like a marathon. They they talk, runners, they talk about the point where you hit the wall. There's a moment in the run where like, I don't know, your muscles kind of go, can't do anymore. And really, you need to prepare for that moment because that happens long before the finish line, apparently. 
And you really need a good coach to basically tell you, keep going, persevere, you can do it. You've trained for this, you can do it, don't give up. There's a prize at the end. Do the London Marathon, you get a t-shirt. There's a prize at the end, run. And the writer of the letter, uh, of this letter, includes himself. Do you see that as you get to these verses? Let us. He's in the race too. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Now notice with me, it is marked out for you. Um, there's a sense in which we don't pick the particular race that we're on. God assigns that race to each one of us. We've all got different stories and, and different backgrounds, different opportunities, different setbacks, different temperaments, different health issues, different heartaches and sorrows. But you know what? There is great comfort in knowing that our heavenly Father who loves us, he's marked out this race for us. And the wonderful thing about these verses is that it gives us coaches' advice of how we can persevere and complete this race of the Christian life. So I want to give us three points to help us with perseverance, to run with perseverance this morning. First point, remember the witnesses. Verse 1, therefore, it is one of the most strongest kind of forms of the word therefore, in the light of all that's come before, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and if you were here last week, you'll recall that we examined some of those amazing life stories from the Old Testament. These men and women who lived by faith in God and his promises and they kept going to the end. Do you remember we saw how their faith overcame fears, how their faith took risks? And do you remember... They were quite imperfect people, weren't they? Rahab, the pagan prostitute, is commended for her faith. She chose to believe the promises of God and align herself with the people of God and take care of those spies. And the list goes on. Gideon, so uncertain. Barak, needed Deborah to go with him. Samson, well, read the story, never-ending catalog of failure. Jephthah, rash promises. And yet, these were all commended for their faith. See, they're just like us. They're, 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 they've got failings, they've got character flaws, they had insecurities, they had times of even disobedience and moral failure. But still, they kept in the race, and they completed the race. And uh, we saw at the end of chapter 11, some, by faith, uh, saw great triumphs, victories. Others, by faith, experienced tears. And it just got harder and harder. And yet they are all commended by God. They all stayed the course until the end. And my Christian friend, this therefore, it's saying, okay, now it's our turn. It's our race. What are we going to do? Will we persevere? Will we press on? 
Sometimes we get the imagery wrong, I think, in these verses, and we imagine as if Moses and Abraham are up in the stands going, come on, observing us. But actually, they're not a crowd observing us. They're a great cloud of witnesses to us. And they are testifying to us today that God is faithful. That God kept up his end of the bargain. That God was faithful to all his promises. They completed, not because of something inside of them, but the greatness of the God who made the promises that they trusted. God kept them. And they persevered to the ends. And you know what? They did all of that despite actually not seeing the fulfillment of what was promised. They all longed to see what we have now seen in history, the coming of Jesus Christ. In history, in fulfillment to all the promises, as Mike pointed out earlier in his, uh, in his uh, testimony. We've seen that. We know he's the answer. We know he's the savior. We know he's the king. And we should remember the witnesses and be inspired by their testimony. But let's not be in doubt. This is our race right now. It's over to us. How, how are you running the race today? How's it going? Now, their stories, they, they inspire us. And, and, and as it were, they shout to us, keep running, keep persevering. Secondly, if we want to persevere, we need to throw off what hinders. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles it's stage nine of the Giro d'Italia, the bicycle race. Uh, and Chris Froome is there with, again with Team Sky. Don't know whether you've watched the cycling, but cycling's become this incredibly popular hobby now. And uh, you probably have noticed this, this terrifying prospect of, of mammals on the street. You know what mammals are? Uh, Middle-aged men in lycra. Try to pull the lycra over lumps and bumps because in their head, they're Chris Froome. Cycling everywhere. But you get the point. Cyclists spend a lot of money getting the lightest bike. I remember when I was considering a road bike, I mean, I could spend 500 quid on this, or I could spend like 2,000 on this, and it would be like three pounds lighter. And I remembered I could just lose weight <laughs> and save myself, you know, a grand or two. Some men shave their legs. That hair can hold you back if you want to slice through the air. But you see, if you're going to compete, if you want to win, you don't want to carry any weight that is unnecessary. This is true for most sports. You know, Olympic swimming, you see these uh, Olympic swimmers, they come out of the changing rooms with their bathrobes on. Have you noticed they don't dive in with their bathrobes? Have you noticed that? No, those come off. They're not wearing a lot, to be honest. So they can just slice through the water, reduce the drag. And so, you know what? If we want to persevere in this Christian life, if we want to complete the race, it's essential that we throw off everything that holds us back. I wonder if there are people here today and you're getting weary, you're trying to live the Christian life, and that's because you're carrying so much baggage with you. 
You've got so many things on you right now that are slowing you down. I want you to examine and think about that. I, I, I can't do it all for you. You're going to have to prayerfully consider today whether there are things that are holding you back from persevering in the Christian race. Obviously, uh, it speaks of sin that entangles, that, that tightly binds us and trips us up. You know, persistent, sinful anger will hold us back. Bitterness will hold us back. Lust and pornography tightly wraps itself around people's hearts. And, and if they fail to radically deal with it, their conscience is constantly condemning them. And they lose their joy. And they grow very weary in the Christian race. I, I met a man this past week who shared with me how he used to work in the media in Scotland, making TV programs. And kind of in that community, he got... He sort of got involved with guys who were taking a lot of cocaine and he became addicted to cocaine. Um, he got to a stage where he realized he had to deal with it. He, came, he moved cities, he, he got on a recovery program and he found a church that had a, a, a sort of recovery program. Basically, a guy just got up and preached the gospel every week. And uh, he became a Christian. And he got sober. And then he moved back to the community where he'd originally come from. And do you know what happened? He got sucked straight back into taking cocaine. Uh, six months of further addiction. And it caused him to despair and wonder if he ever was really a Christian. And at that point, he knew that he had to do something radical. He had to throw it off completely. So he moved back to the other city. He moved away from the friends that were pulling him back, pulling him into that addiction. And he ended up staying with a Christian, and he got clean and sober, and he hasn't uh, taken drugs for five years, and he's going on great in his Christian life. Notice here that there are, there are obviously sinful things that entangle us, but you know what? There are other things that aren't necessarily sinful, um, and there might be some things that don't cause problems for others, but for you, you know these things are hindering you in the Christian race. They're wearying you. They're a weight upon you. They're distracting you. And I wonder, is there something like that for you today? Smartphones, I think, can be a great blessing. But if we don't think carefully about how we use them or when we use them, I wonder if our smartphones and our use of social media might well be causing all sorts of harm to us, to our lives and to our souls. As a generation growing up who've grown up with a smartphone, and people have observed murder rates are dropping, but rates of self-harming and suicide are dramatically increasing. And they wonder whether there's a link up. For all this uh, social connection, people are getting lonelier. People are becoming more insecure. And we're all getting incredibly distracted. They're talking about street zombies who just walk like this. My Christian friends, are there apps on your phone? And you know that they are holding you back from persevering as a Christian. Do you think it might be time to delete those apps? Do you think it might be time to think about 
more carefully how you're using this device. Let's throw off everything that hinders. Hobbies can be a wonderful thing. Uh, But you know what? Some people can let hobbies become obsessive or consuming. Outdoor activities, holidays, holiday houses can be great, but when they take over all your weekends so that you're disconnected from a local church where you serve and you grow, they can hinder you from persevering in the race. Drama is endlessly fascinating, isn't it? We love stories. The TV is full of stories. But what do you think will be the impact on our Christian lives if we're endlessly binging on TV box sets or watching movies that feast our minds essentially on story plots of gratuitous sex and violence and things that stoke our greed and our lust? Seriously, do we think that that stuff is going to help us run the race? Or is it hindering us? You know, are we pursuing a, a growing, deeper relationship with someone who's not following Christ? We love them, they're great, but actually, are they going to help you run the Christian race? Or are they, in fact, hindering you? From running the race. You know, there's just simply not enough time to go over all the possibilities, but can I encourage you to prayerfully consider sometime today, sometime tonight? Is there a sin that's entangling you? Is there something that's just hindering you? Remember those athletes stripping down to their lycra, down to the bare minimum to run this race. Let's throw it off. We want to keep running with perseverance. Thirdly, fix your eyes on Jesus. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love watching the big athletic meetings. And, uh, you know, there's a moment where they're all sort of cheering and, you know, doing funny moves and stuff. But then there's that moment where it gets serious, isn't it? And uh, they talk about getting in the zone. And I find it fascinating to watch these guys get in the zone. You can see that they're ignoring all other distractions And they focus on the race before them. Some of them mentally kind of walk through the stages of their race. They imagine every step of the way until the tape. And their eyes are fixed on the finish line. Well, how will we run with perseverance? Well, you know, we can be inspired by the stories of those who run the race before us. You know, we we prepare by kind of getting rid of all the things that hinder us. But to run this race, we've got to run it with our eyes fixed on Jesus. It's so easy to get distracted. But nobody wins that athletic race looking behind them. Have you noticed that? No one's ever won doing that. Don't spend your life looking back on the failures and the disappointments of the past. Some of you are stuck back there. Stop looking backwards when you're trying to run the race. Look to Christ. Some of us are always looking sideways. How are other people doing? How do I compare to other people? Nobody wins the race that way. Fix your eyes 
on Jesus. This is really what the whole letter has been getting us to do. Chapter 1 is portrayed Jesus, who's truly God, the Son of God, who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, who sustains all things by his powerful word. This is the one you're to focus your eyes upon. Chapter 2, we're told this is the Jesus who is truly human. In chapter 2, verse 10, it describes for the very first time in this letter that he's the pioneer of our salvation, made perfect through what he suffered. You know, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, he is at the finish line. He's ahead of us. He's pioneered in this race. He's pioneered a way of salvation for us. He's qualified us to enable us to run. He's someone who took on human flesh and blood and, and paid the price for our sin. And he ran this race of faith. Trusting God and trusting God's promises. He ran it as a human being. Relying on the Father. Living by faith. You know, we reflected last week that sometimes we love the stories about the victory and the success. And, the, and some Christians just only ever seem to talk about the, the prosperity and the, and the wins and the health and all the great things. That's not the Christian life. Consider Christ. Yes, there were moments where great crowds loved him. And there were the moments where the crowds shouted, crucify him. And we read earlier the shame, the pain, the suffering. He did all of that by faith in God and his promises. And he's the pioneer of our salvation. He's the one we are to emulate. If you're finding it tough right now for being a Christian, remember that's exactly what it was like for Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on him. He endured the cross to make a way through faith that many sons and daughters would be able to follow him on this pathway to salvation and glory. See, we fix our eyes on him not only as the pioneer, but as the perfecter of our faith. His life and ministry uh, is not just one of a cheerleader example, but he's the one who sustains our faith. He strengthens our faith to keep going so that our faith comes to a full maturity and successful conclusion to be where he is in glory. Chapters 3 to 10, the great bulk of this letter has focused our eyes on Jesus as our great high priest through whom we can come before God's throne of grace to continually receive mercy and grace to help us in the race that he's called us to run today. Oh, he's an example, but praise God, he's much more than an example, isn't he? He's empowering strength. He's enabling grace. He's the way to the Father. He's saying, draw on my resources. Draw on the Father's power as you run this race and seek to persevere even when it's hard. Because look, where is he now? He's sat down at the right hand of God in glory, he still sat down. The salvation work is completed. The perfect Savior is able to save all who trust him completely and utterly and totally. 
This is how we will persevere, by running with our eyes fixed on him. And how was he able to endure all that he endured? How did he scorn the shame of the cross, the most shameful death? How did he put up with the opposition? Well, he had his eyes set on the joy before him, it says in our verses. What is that joy? Well, it's the joy of obeying the Father. It's the joy of completing the mission. It's the joy of exaltation that would come after the humiliation as he ascends to God's right hand and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's the joy of knowing that he's pioneering a way of salvation so that, so that sons and daughters, and if that's you trusting Jesus, that's you today. He had you in mind, the joy that one day you will stand in glory on this pathway that he has trod. My Christian friends, there might be nights of joy, but there is an eternal day of joy for all who persevere. It'll eclipse the suffering. It'll eclipse the mockery and the shame. It'll eclipse all the puny awards and things this world can hold out to you that all fade and droop to nothing. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Practically, as I finish, what does it look like to fix your eyes on Jesus? Three quick things to help us fix our eyes practically this week. Number one, see him in the Bible. What treasure you've got here. Every page ultimately is about Jesus. So keep reading this word until you see Christ. It's always helpful to have a gospel on the go. But you know what? Every page points to him. The whole of the Old Testament points to him. Prophet, priest, and king. I was reading today about David being persecuted by Saul in, in a cave and people would flock to be with him. He says, stay with me. You'll be safe with me. This is our king. He may be opposed right now, but if you stay with him, you'll be safe. He'll keep you. See, in David's best moments, he's a reflection of Christ. The perfect king. See him in his word. Keep reading it and, and, and meditate on how it relates to Christ and feast your eyes on Christ. Firstly, see him in the Bible. See him at prayer. I don't know about you, but sometimes I start praying and I start saying my prayers. And I go through my lists and I do this thing. And sometimes I, I have this moment of realization. Get your eyes off the list and look up. And see Christ at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to him. He is more present in the room than your friend or your spouse or your flatmate. See him in prayer. Move from the list to remember that he is truly present. See him in prayer. See him, thirdly, reflected in his people as you gather. What's one of the joys of gathering? Well, we're a, we're a weird bunch of people, aren't we? And uh, we've all got our quirks and our flaws, but if we're trusting Jesus, bit by bit, God's Spirit is making us more like Jesus. And actually the joy as we talk and we relate and we fellowship and we share 
God's word with each other, we pray for each other, and we see how we react and respond, a little bit more we're seeing more of Jesus. See him in the Bible, see him in prayer, see him amongst his people. And if you're wearying today of the Christian life, if you're losing heart, if you experience opposition uh, from those who are still in rebellion against God, remember the witnesses, throw off what hinders, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Verse 3 actually moves from a suggestion to a command. Consider him. Here's a command from God today. Consider him. Will we obey it this week? Let's pray. Oh, Father, what riches are ours because of your amazing grace to us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for any today who've begun the race. And we ask that you'd help us today to reflect on anything that's holding us back. And you'd give us the faith to throw off the things that hinder that we may persevere in the race. And we pray for our friends here today who are considering beginning the race. Oh Lord, would you grant them the faith to repent from their sins and to start the race this very day. And we think particularly for Andy and Mike and as they testify to uh, the way that they've begun the race and that they're identifying with Christ, would you bless them, strengthen them today. May they remember this day and uh, Lord, that you would help them to persevere in the race. Oh Lord, we thank you that we're relying not on our resources, but all your great and glorious resources. And we praise you and thank you. Amen.